someone might ask, well, why would you flip that if there's so much money in it? It's the speed of money. Yeah. And that's the mindset trip I had was like when I first got into my business model and I was acquiring portfolios, I was looking at what my returns were and all the expense that went along with it. And that's why I was intrigued by wholesaling because I was like, look, I can wait five years to make the same money that I can flip a deal in less than 30 days in commercial and make. Like, why would I want to wait five years and have to have it in my head and have it on the books? So that's why I got so immersed in that. But I'd say know your numbers and know your market. Those are the two biggest things. And again, sharpen your skill set on the human element of business and getting to the wants and desires and needs of the seller. Welcome to the show, Terry Hill. What's going on, brother? Hey, man. How's it? Good. Good to be here. Yeah. Uh, I always love talking to, to fellow commercial real estate investors. One, because not that we're a rare breed, but I think we are a rare breed in the sense of we talk openly about what we do and, and we share and try and you know empower others. And I know usually when I get into some high-level conversations with other commercial real estate investors, how they've built their wealth, what they're seeing in the market, there's always great um, kind of data points to connect the dots on. So I'm looking forward to today's conversation. And uh, I guess we could kick things off by how are you doing, brother? What's going on in your world? Oh, man, busy, but good busy. You know, we pick and choose how busy we want to get. That's for sure. But Mm -hmm. I always have been a big uh, advocate of education and sharing the knowledge like we're doing here. So I appreciate you having me. And, um, you know, for me, man, it's about uh, building the right teams and the right network. So educate and delegate freeze, freeze my time and lets me spend more time with the fam. That's awesome. And you got, uh, is it, is it one son or two, two? Oh no, I'm one and done. One and done. You said, Hey, that's <laughs> one and done, baby. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So you and your family are down in beautiful Malibu. And I know obviously you're investing, you know, all over the country now globally, which we'll get into here in a little bit. But for those that don't know you and kind of how you got started, what brought you into commercial real estate? Like, take me back to the beginning of where this began for you. All right. So the hot tub time machine, let's go back. So uh, yeah, the, uh, the start of it all, um, you know, I, I was fortunate where, you know, I, I grew up in, uh, in the world of construction. So my father and his three brothers, they had a construction company and they did some ground up and did a lot of commercial stuff too. So I've always been around it. You know, I've always, I've always felt it. And uh, one day, man, I just decided that, you know, I didn't want to take on the family biz and I wanted to be on the other side. So I was fortunate enough after uh, begging and pleading with uh, several individuals, one guy took me under his wing and showed me what's what's up. And uh, it was a good thing, but then also I believe it was a true disservice because he taught me the ultra wealthy rich person's game of buying property uh, basically at retail and then improving it in whatever regard, whether it was going to be a rehab or it was going to be a tear down and build up. And, uh, you know, I finally bailed and went and got my financial legs after, you know, a grueling seven years, five, seven years of, of working underneath uh, this individual and um, working for peanuts, too, by the way. Yeah, but that was my education piece, man. You know? Yeah, I can uh, relate to that. My first year in real estate was back in 2010 when there was obviously foreclosures everywhere in California. And I worked for a guy for uh, about 12, 13 months for free. And he was clipping like 50, 60, 70 grand a house. I think we flipped over 100 something houses that first year. But it was one of the wow. best educations that I ever got because it led me to my first six figure flip and kind of started my journey. So uh, I always love hearing how people kind of originated their 
you know, real estate journey and the fact that you said five to seven years for making peanuts, how many people don't have the patience to stay yeah. and stick through something like that? So you obviously mentored. Did you jump right into commercial real estate at the beginning? Yeah. So I, I tried to do some house stuff, man. It just was like, you know, being a California guy and being out here, like I'm not, I mean, I'm sure you guys were hunting hard, you know, a lot of dig and a lot of grinding because yeah. when, uh, when we were doing that, we were mostly just looking at revamping luxury homes and like, you know, markets like Bel Air, Beverly Hills. We never really came down here to Malibu. It was always pretty much untouchable, but um, yeah, it was just mostly, you know, the, uh, the multi-fam and, uh, and then ground up development and some um, office retail. But uh, what happened was I finally got my financial legs and I, you know, the bird dog flew the coop, right? And uh, I went and I accomplished uh, my first couple multifamilies and they were out of state. One was in Florida, which I'll never forget. That hot sun, man, wasn't used to it. Almost passed out when I went down there. <laughs> the Calibre ain't used to that heat. <laughs> No, man, that humidity, man. It's not even like Vegas heat. Like we can yeah. handle the Vegas. You know, you're going for a drink, man. Like you can't do anything. You got to stay in the AC when you're in Florida. But um, yeah, I, I went and, and went to go knock out my next deal. And um, all the banks and Alte lenders, all the hard money lenders, you know, all my connections of, of people that were just investors putting money into deals. They were all, they looked at my, my, my paper and they were like, look, your debt to income ratio sucks. Like you're no good on paper. Like you're a great guy. We like you but you're just no good on paper. And it was like, it was a blow, man. It was personal. Yeah. yeah. But it was, it was a wake up call. And that's when I reinvented myself and, uh, and started reverse engineering my, my thought process, you know? And I thought, you know, I was like, Matt, look, I got to find motivated sellers. I got to find the lift, the upside in it. I can't buy retail. And so everything that I focus on from that point, even to today, um, are timeless strategies and techniques to literally uncover distressed assets, both distressed by the property, a reason why the property may be mismanagement, partners feuding, whatever. Um, and then also just a problem with the person where maybe like just what we have experienced in our early career with some foreclosure situations. Yep. Yep. So you got into, because a lot of people, and this was one thing I wish I would have honestly learned earlier. And I'm curious on your thoughts, because you kind of, you went straight to commercial. You were like single family just ain't for me. Was that kind of the thought process or did you just kind of fall into commercial by default due to the, you know, experience your dad had working in construction, the mentor you found? A little bit of both. You know, I, I wanted to do the, the residential because like the mindset of the residential is like, we all live in a house, right? So it's natural transition. Right. And I always thought it would be easiest until I did commercial and then realized that commercial is a lot easier because way easier. there's, it's way easier. It's like there's two sides of a piece of paper. I always say, you know, there's the there's the the whole asset and then there's the liability. And if someone has an asset, that's what I was buying early in my career, which is retail. Of course, everybody wants to sell. But when you have the the distressed asset, those are the people that kind of do the ostrich and stick their head in the sand. Yeah. Those are the deals when you find them. They're the gold, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I really wish looking back. You know, and I'm I'm super grateful that, you know, my my first strip center led me into my first medical plaza, which led me into my first hotel, which led me into my second and third and fourth of kind of all of those. And I I wish because my first six years of real estate was spent on flipping, single family, and it was a grind, man. It was one felt way riskier now looking back, going, it was way riskier. Um, you're, you know, you're you're really not building real wealth at scale. 
And you don't have that ROI or, or that multiple upside on your time and your skill set the way commercial does. And that to me was like, man, I wish more people who want to build wealth actually felt the confidence to get into commercial real estate. What would you say dealing with so many different commercial real estate investors, being one of the top in the country yourself, are some of the best skills that aspiring commercial real estate investors should focus on sharpening their acts around. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like building a bigger pipeline with real customers customers, leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this Deep Sales, and LinkedIn has built the first Deep Sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. Yeah, so definitely getting back to the human element of business has served us so well. You know, our these phones, you know, this whole let's text message, let's email, you know, um, instant messaging and and working with social platforms and all this stuff. Um, when it relates just to commercial real estate, Matt, what I found is that picking up the old phone and sticking at it, because I don't care what business you're in, you're in the business of herding cats. Like yeah. getting the people on is the most difficult task. But once you get those folks on the phone. It's about being able to articulate what it is, your message, and working towards that mutual benefit and honing that skill set on figuring out the problem in the deal, whether the, it's, again, a problem with the property or a problem with the person. But getting back to that real exact human element of solving problems and working towards mutual benefit, if someone can hone their skill set around that, that's going to pay them in, in like 10, 20, 100 times in business because what you're doing is you're honing in on, on the reasons, the desires, the needs, the wants of the seller. Yeah. And once I got away from myself, like early on, I had all that bravado, you know, let's get in there and do the business. And I was always humble and kind, but I also was aggressive. And then when I took away that aggression aspect of it and understood it wasn't about me as an investor, it was about figuring out the deal. Yeah. Once you figure out the deal and you can solve the problem, then you can make all the money, man. And if there's no problem, typically there's no deal. I you know. I I love one of the things that I know you um you promote very uh loudly is a lot of people are always talking about finding a deal, finding a deal, finding a deal. And I and it, to tie in with what you just said there, which I a hundred percent agree, it's 
you know, the best deals are created, right? Like you create the deal. You don't necessarily find it. You you can create it, right? And if there is that motivation or there's a real problem to solve, the beauty of commercial real estate is you can get as creative as you want in terms of there's a lot of levers that you can pull to make a win-win for somebody, right? 100%. I mean, I'll give you a clear example, just like 20 seconds or less. Um, one of my clients found a project out in Arizona. Uh, they said that looks the, the guy seems motivated. Um, starting to speak with them, what it came down to is the fact that this guy he built this, this twelve bay big box out in Phoenix, and his whole motivation was he wanted to get away from the daily operations and he wanted to go out of the country and wanted to you know explore life. And so, what I got to was not even talking about the numbers. I got because he, he built it ground up and. From my background, I knew, okay, you can look at call, uh, dollar cost per door. You can look at the whole income approach, or you can look at, you know, what it costs on net rental square feet to build out. So we got to the build out numbers and the acquisition of his dirt and the timeline it took for him to pass it through. And we got real intimate on that conversation and I knew his numbers. So I came above his numbers to give him enough money where he could travel, you know, to the different countries that he wanted to travel to and get away from that operation. And I also made it where he can create an income stream because I talked about creative seller financing. Yeah. So now this guy doesn't have to pay capital gains on the tick. He can travel. He has an income stream. Plus, he's got a big pocket of money to go do what he wants. And I ended up buying that deal for um, $2.2 million. I put down $440,000. We carried $1,760,000 on a 5% uh, uh, 30-am P&I. Uh, and it was a five-year loan. And I just actually traded that property for $3 bucks. And you know what? I've been to Scottsdale to visit friends like a dozen times over the over the year that I've owned it. Um, and um, I have a partner out there as well. That's why I've gone out there so much. Yeah. But uh, also like the, the hotter weather. We didn't talk about humidity, talk about dry weather. Never went to the property. Never uh -huh. visited the property. Didn't need to. Yep. Yeah. And <laughs> I created the lift because I took the handshake tenants and I used uh, industrial car forms and turned them over to five-year gross tenants. And uh, I had to evict one uh, tenant. Uh, so I had multiple tenants in the 12 bays. But I mean, look, knocking that thing out. I mean, it wasn't a home home run. We're not talking about 10 million, 20 million or 100 million. But, you know, to clear, you know, 800 grand of ownership of a property for a year and not even visit the property. I mean, yeah, you know, do that a handful of times, making some good dough. Yeah, you know? I mean, I, I think everybody is kind of always looking for there's this this mindset, right? Especially with real estate and being in it as long as, you know, we have. And I know you've been in it uh, for a really long time in terms of your expertise. You know, a lot of people want that grand slam, right? Or they want that home run. But it's one of those things where, you know, as you get in and out of more deals, you know, singles are okay too. You do enough of the singles or the doubles, right? Those put points up on the board as well when you do enough of those. And um, oftentimes when you're, you know, like you said, right? Barely stepping foot on site, if ever, you know, you're leveraging a partner, you're leveraging team and you're building wealth in the process. You know, com commercial real estate can get pretty damn passive and still capture massive upside and ROI that there's really no other asset classes that can do that, right? Right. And, you know, you can scale it to wherever you want to scale it to. Like we talked earlier at the beginning of the call about, you know, I said, hey, I'm busy, but I also have enough time for fam. Um, my, my, you know, my son is 10 now. So uh, last summer we took off to uh, Ireland and Paris. Um, that was the year before this last summer. We were uh, in Venice and Tuscany and Rome. And, uh, and we have plans for, 
spring break. And this, just this lifestyle, just it's, it's really cool because it gives you an opportunity to scale wherever you want to go. I already went in retirement once in my late thirties. I came out because I had my son uh, when I was 40 and here now I'm going to be 51 uh, this month, um, which is quite an accomplishment in my world. And, And for where I'm at, um, you know, I look at, I look at these, uh, I look at everything and, you know, my son, my son actually just had me watch, uh, this Avengers movie, not, not a typical movie that I would sit down and watch myself, but you know, when you have a, when you have a 10 year old, you know, you tend to just kind of watch what they watch, but there was like this, this little phrase that was in there that one of the guys said, and I won't say it uh, verbatim, but just to paraphrase, he basically said, there's no amount of money that can buy a moment in time. And I'm sitting there, I looked over my kid, man, I almost had a tear in my eye. I was like, that is so true. You know, it's like, you can't buy time. So you have to have this equal balance of building wealth. And commercial real estate is unlike the grind business, because you can continuously get lucky in commercial. And I know you know what I'm talking about, Matt, because if you put energy into it, in my world, luck is just being prepared and being present and executing, right? So, I mean, there it is. I mean, if somebody wants to sharpen their skill set on commercial, you know, it's like be present, be knowledgeable and just take the action. Don't don't hesitate or procrastinate. Know the numbers. And when you know it's a deal, it's a deal. If it's not, walk away equally because then you guard your time. Yep. Yep. Real estate deals are like buses, man. There's always another one right around the corner. And as long as you're <laughs> in the game, you're on the, you know, you're on, you're on the front line, you got your sleeves rolled up. You, you're going to, you're going to stumble your way into some deals and into some luck for sure. I know when people always say like, man, how have you had success in commercial real estate? I'm like, I'm just dumb enough to believe in myself every day and smart enough to wake up and take action on what I think is going to help me achieve my goals. You know, and, and every once in a while, you know, a blind uh, squirrel stumbles into an acorn and you do that enough, right? You, you look up and you got a little bit of a mound of acorns and, you know, it's just that repetition and that consistency. And I love what you said there. I think it's, I, that resonates with me a lot around the family front. I um, was fortunate to have a lot of great mentors early on in the game, some that were great husbands and great fathers, you know, and still build great businesses. And some that were, you know, building great businesses, but were not really estranged, you know, estranged from their wife and not really present with their kids. And so I saw kind of these two different paths of, you know, millionaires, but they were really bankrupt in a lot of the other categories of life outside of finance. And then there was these people that were living like millionaires in all categories of their life. And one quote that always stuck out to me, that's kind of in line with what you just said was, there's no amount of money or wealth that's worth failure at home. And when I think about, you know, the beauty of commercial real estate, it gives you room and create space to do both and do both at a really high level, right? Build wealth and be a present dad and be a great husband yeah. and go and have bucket list adventures and get your adventure cup filled, right? Like it's such a cool vehicle. I know for a lot of people though, right? I know when I was first starting out, I had this limiting belief around like, I don't know numbers or finance the way these Wall Street guys do who structure these deals, or I don't understand how to, you know, pro forma or model out a deal. I don't know how to structure debt and get creative, right? You don't really know and or learn until you just immerse yourself in it. But what are your thoughts or opinions around how someone can take that first step and kind of get in the game? Yeah, it's great. You know, that's a, a really good question. So um, there is kind of a, a slight learning curve to it. And you're absolutely right. Like if you look at like the top of the mountain and you're at the bottom of the mountain, then obviously that's going to be, you know, something that's going to be a difficult task because you're like, okay, I got to have 
you know, perfect credit, a ton of money, all these relationships. I need to understand it all. And, you know, um, like for instance, there's a class called CCIM, you know, certified commercial investment member class. And it's extremely detailed. I've taken it, you know, I passed it. I understand it. And, you know, it going all the way to like internal rate of return and understanding all these formulas, there's a simplistic nature of understanding exactly what a deal looks like, right? And if you just look at the basics and say, okay, this deal's pulling in this amount of money using this expense ratio, it's kicking this net income. You understand a simple formula to manipulate the numbers and say, okay, I'm buying it at this and it's worth this. If the spread's there, I'm not going to say there's room for error because there's never room for error. And I don't want to give that misconception. But I am saying that if you buy it cheap enough with creative terms, like those are the deals that your average investor want and you can wholesale those. So part of my career, and we talked about this uh, uh, prior to the call, we were just kind of chatting up, if you remember, Matt. And I said, I got really immersed into wholesaling commercial deals. And, you know, it it took up 80% of my business at the time. I mean, we were we were doing some really cool stuff. And part of this and transitioning from what you what you were saying to get started, know your market. Yeah. Like being blindfolded, spun around with a handful of darts throwing them at the map, it's it's doing yourself a disservice. And if you know a market is hot and you can get into that market, give you an example like Montgomery, Alabama. Like, why Montgomery, Alabama? Well, if you knew it was slated to do infrastructure of close to $300 million in, in development and all of these companies are coming in with opportunity zones and all this, you know, incentives, um, it's a great place to invest. So we turned three deals in, in Montgomery, Alabama, um, just this last uh, quarter and uh, each deal had over, you know, 200, one was like four fifty and change on a wholesale flip. And, you know, someone might ask, well, why would you flip that if there's so much money in it? It's the speed of money. Yeah, and awesome. that's that's the mindset trip I had was like when when I first got into you know my business model um, and I was acquiring portfolios, I was looking at what my returns were and all the expense that went along with it, and that's why I was intrigued by wholesaling because I was like, look, I can wait five years to make the same money that I can flip a deal in less than thirty days in commercial and make. Yeah. Like, why would I want to wait five years and have to have it in my head and have it on the books? So that's why I got so immersed in that. But I'd say know your numbers and know your market. Those are the two biggest things. And again, sharpen your skill set on the human element of business and getting to the wants and desires and needs of the seller. That would help anyone out quite a bit. I love that you kind of talked about this wholesaling component because not a lot of people even realize that it's possible in commercial real estate, right? Many people are like, oh, let me buy this little $80,000 flip and lock up the contract and I'll sell it to the end buyer for, you know, a hundred and take my 20. Talk a little bit about how wholesaling in commercial real estate, you know, is, is done the right way and, and how, you know, you find a way to kind of create spreads and deals and find your end buyers in, you know, an industry that doesn't have as many end buyers like single family does. Yeah. And it's kind of like the, you know, the behind the scenes, um, act if you if you will because there there's are quite a few people that are out there looking for deals now you have you know real buyers and then you have tire kickers and you have re-wholesalers so that's the that's kind of the dirty thing in the business of wholesaling is you have all these people that are ready to circumvent you meaning go around you once they know about your deal so you got to make sure it's airtight so just to get to it as far as wholesaling it's really no different than if you were going to buy it yourself 
And if you are true to your game and you're like, look, I can't fluff the numbers. If I'm going to close on it and I'd want to close on it, then I can wholesale it. If you're not going to want to close on it yourself, chances are you're not going to be able to wholesale that deal. Exactly. So it's got to be, you know, it's got to meet that, that cut. And the spreads that we look at, if we can't make a minimum of six figures, meaning a hundred grand on a wholesale, um, then we just, we just pass on it. And another thing about wholesaling is everyone wants a deal. So think about that. Everyone wants creative financing. So like that Montgomery deal, we had it where we were coming in at 15% down and we were able to create the spread. So if you were to create the wrong structure in terms, I hope nobody loses me here. If you found a deal that looks like it's ready to be wholesaled, but yet you're putting too much money down, how are you going to be able to tack your, your additional, call it assignment fee on top of that? If someone's got to now come in with 30 or 40% down, it really becomes your, uh, you know, not realistic. So what you need to do is be able to make sure that you get the creative terms and work a deal with the seller where you're putting so little down that you can tack on that assignment fee and it still only comes out to 20% or less, Mm -hmm. right? So if you're working bigger numbers and you're able to get in on a deal, let's say a million dollar deal with 10% down, just a real quick example for transparency, a million dollar purchase price with 10% down is a hundred grand and you want to make 100,000 on that deal, you're able to tack on that 100 grand as an assignment fee because it's still only 20% of the purchase price and the numbers work for people, Yeah, right? And especially if you do super creative things, like we get ultra creative, Matt, like we'll do things like um, escalation of interest clauses because obviously if you get in at an interest-only loan versus a principal and interest, your payment's going to be really low on interest-only. So we'll structure it because we know we can reposition that property by filling the vacancies, raising rents, stabilizing the property, getting third-party marketing management collections, all that stuff. If it's a uh, self-storage facility, we use a company like uh, Easy Storage Solutions. They handle all those components for a fraction of the cost, to give an example. Um, if it's multifam and we're working multiple deals in that area, then we'll have one manager typically looking after all of those. And if they need to bring on an assistant manager, that's fine too. But it's the way we cut costs versus having just one management team per deal. But we'll do an interest-only schedule. We'll get in like year one or two um, interest-only to keep our payments really low. And by doing what I refer to as number manipulation, right, we can manipulate the numbers with the low down payment and the low interest payments where these deals are actually cash flowing at closing. Love it. Which is sick. And then when you do an escalation of interest, you can play on the greed of the seller. So we can say, look, if you'll do 60 months, five years, year one, we'll do 4% interest-only. Year two, we'll do 5% interest-only. But years three, four, and five, we'll kick it up to, you know, six, six and a half, seven, whatever, at principal and interest on a 30-year AM. And then you run those amortization schedules on a very simple uh, interest-only calculator and then an amortization calculator. And you can get one for free at like bankrate.com. Like they're yeah, free right. to just punch the number. Yeah, super simple, right? Um, and then you run a schedule of all that interest. You compile all the that interest. And then you just put a little note on the bottom of your letter of intent or your email. And it says, if you calculate all of the interest over the term of the loan proposed, it comes out the blank. Then you add that to the purchase price of a million dollars and the number's like through the roof. And then their greed glands are just like flaring. (laughs) And uh, that's getting creative, brother, you know, that's where it's at. Just I, I, I yeah. love that because, I mean, like you said, right, there's so many different ways you can pull levers on deals and make it, you know, make sense. I mean, you know, if you wanted to recap that deal after stabilization and you don't ever end up getting into the 
you know, the higher interest rates, right? Maybe there's, so I agree, right? The, there's there's a lot of different things that you can do to, to make deals pencil. What are, maybe just to dig in on some different asset classes that, you know, what are your thoughts in terms of best asset classes right now, maybe most challenging or struggling asset classes? And, and what's kind of your sweet spot that you see being kind of whether it's price point, certain markets, you know, certain buy box criteria that, you know, you guys like as your fastballs. Yeah, no, great. So I always, so I always say that, you know, the, the three property types that are recessionary proof are multifamily, uh, self-storage and, you know, mobile home parks and mobile home parks have a moratorium. So they're not out there building more, but now they came out with uh, MHC, which are uh, manufactured housing communities. So people are basically taking dirt, kind of like an RV, putting the hookups, bringing on the RVs, but RVs can be kind of transient. So once you get someone that's actually going to shovel on one of those, you know, kind of mediocre, expensive, it could be a tiny home or it can be, you know, a manufactured house like out here. I think they range around three to 500,000, you know, for out here. But I, I guess across the nation, medium could be you know, a couple hundred thousand. Because somebody to invest in that and you charge them pad rent or whatever, it's just a really good way to do it. Um, we're finding a lot of these RV parks now are super popular. And uh, recently on a wholesale, uh, just to be transparent, we had someone go around us and say to the broker, because they found the broker and they said, hey, you know, when this falls out, I'm willing to pay more. And uh, you know, it's just kind of, like I said, it's the, it's the dirty business of wholesale. You got to deal right. with it. You got to yeah. have a tough skin, man. You got to have the tough skin. But, uh, but we've seen a lot of the RVs. As far as uh, price points, uh, we go anywhere from as low as, believe it or not, 300,000 up to about 5 million. We find that once we go over 5 million, we're competing against um, a lot of uh, syndication capital, REITs, which are real estate investment trusts. Um, obviously, Wall Street money is dead, so we're not worried about that. But, um, you know, a lot of these bigger moving parts are, are looking for a property that can yield bigger returns and they don't want anything to do with the sweet spot, 1 million, 2 million stuff. It's just too yep. tiny. Yep. Another um, proprietary way we do business, I, I don't mind sharing, and the market is saturated, just so your um, listeners know, you know, I got heavy into self-storage, super heavy. Like all the reasons, you know, as they say, no toilets, no trash, no tenants, all the gurus pitch that, mm -hmm. um, you know, the uh, fact I always say it's like apartments without the people. Right. Um, and they're just easy numbers to crunch. Now, lenders, they have these preferred programs for self-storage where they you can use companies like Boxwell, Tracty, Janice International, which is a real popular one. And they can come in and 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 put these, um, you know, build outs for you. You don't do any of the work. You know, you just do the grading and you, know, you got your, your foundation and they pop them down right there. Um, I mean, I've even seen people come in with, with containers and drop them on the dirt as long as you get it uh, passed through a fire code so people can enter uh, the dirt. People are just dropping containers and charging ridiculous amounts of money. Um, so a real creative way to do it. And on land that's on the backside of multifamily, you know, there's not big closets in apartments. So people need a place to store stuff. Um, and, uh, it's just a real popular way to add a profit center. It just got really saturated the market for yeah. storage, heavily. Big time. Yeah. Big time. And a lot of people are talking about it. You know, you got all these, I mean, I'm sure you scroll Instagram, like everyone does, like I do, and you just see all the same stuff and everyone's yeah. pitching the self-storage hustle. And so, uh, you know, we've, we've now gravitated into finding a niche product that most people stay away from because of the whole management aspect of it. 
if you find a sweet spot zone where you're not so much the um, small fish in the big pond, but you're more like the big fish in the small pond, and you can see that there is not heavy saturation in the market, and there's plenty of areas across the nation. I think statistics show there's over like 50,000 self-storage facilities that are owned by mom and pop around the nation. Most of these don't even have websites. Right. Um, they have street signs. It's insane. It is crazy. Yeah, you, you get a hyped up broker, a young buck, um, uh, and you get them and you get a list and they're out there and they're, you know, grinding for dollars. They're driving for dollars. They're making the calls. Um, you acquire one, two or three of those with one manager and you hook it to a third party company like Easy Storage Solutions. We've been putting these portfolios together and then we trade them back once we have close to a thousand doors. Love it. Yeah, it's uh, we've really made an impact on the market by doing that. Because most people that look at the smaller, like 100 unit or 70 unit or 130 unit self storage, if you have one manager on it, they're sucking all the life out of the deal. There's yeah. no. So all these investors and people, even right now, current, they're staying away from those opportunities, which gives us that that lead in to be able to acquire a certain amount and create the portfolio and then just sell the bulk portfolio. Yeah, I, I love it. I, I I'm of the same, you know, always contrarian kind of mindset. The second I start seeing all the gurus, uh, you know, and people talking and teaching about a certain product, it, usually, I mean, I got into boutique hotels before really Airbnb became massive, um, and before boutique hotels started to kind of get some traction. And um, when they got real frothy, um, I traded out of those and. Um, and, and, and RV parks have kind of been, been, been the focus and I'm actually, uh, moving to PSA on one right now. Um, just like you had added, you know, looking, there's a piece of dirt right behind it. And, you know, the, the seller, basically I'm getting an option on that. And there's, uh, uh, zoning for a billboard and storage and it's right on the freeway. Oh, nice. So nice little value add deal, but I, I like the RV parks from that perspective. I've still got, you know, kind of that management light component versus hotels, but very similar in terms of being able to maximize and optimize different verticals within the park. Um, now, what do you think are some of the asset classes to stay away from right now? What would yeah. you guys not touch? Right. Don't touch those, <laughs> right? Uh, definitely, you know, noting that, uh, we're, we're gravitating um, uh, after the unfortunate COVID and everything, and people are working from home and now doing Zoom calls like we're on right now and conducting business. And so I'm saying that basically the obvious is office, right? Yeah. But we've obviously seen a lot of retail. Now where I'm at in Malibu, I just saw on the news, like crazy things are happening in Santa Monica where I was actually born. And I'm looking at this, watching like major stores shutting down, you know, Nike shutting down, like all these like, you know, retail places shutting down, malls shutting down across the nation. So the obvious is office retail. But um, I'm also finding now, Matt, that, you know, multifamily is, mm. is trading because debt is so expensive. It is yeah. trading horribly. Can't make a pencil. It doesn't. Yeah. And I just got like probably, I'd say a half a dozen, you know, submissions um, this week alone on multifamily and none of them pan out. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not buying it a three cap on Performa. It's like not going to happen. Yeah, you know, it's it's insane, and obviously yeah. with what the Fed's doing, all the win, you know the headwinds on on that, it feels like even though you know inflation is getting back in line, which still I'm not sure I trust all that data. You got yeah. the Fed saying that they're still somewhat hawkish. 
trying to see what they're going to do, whether it's a pause or I don't think they're going to rate, you know, increase again this year. I think we'll see some cuts next year. Maybe they do increase one more time this year. I don't know, but I'm curious on your thoughts on the state of the market and ultimately how is seller financing? And I call it right now, the season of seller finance. I mean, it's always the season of seller finance, but right now, I mean, that's one of the only ways to make certain deals pencil because margins are too thin when you layer in cost of capital. You know, I have a really good lead in that I've been throwing at people, obviously, is the, uh, you know, you can't double dip on the 1031. So let me get in light, pay it out later. But you have to identify if someone's going to be doing a 1031 before you throw that line out there, right? Yeah. Because they're like, hey, look, we're not 1031ing anything. Like we own it free and clear. We're going to take the money or we're going to give it to our our heirs, whatever. Or we're going to just pay tax on or very little tax. Um then throwing that line out there doesn't really catch anything. So yeah. you want to make sure that you massage one of the one of the things that can also sharpen their skill set on all your listeners is just massaging that conversation and asking the right questions, finding out the story, what their exit is, what what they want, what they're looking to get, what they're looking to do, what are they going to do with their money? Like yeah. I don't, I don't mind. I don't think it's invasive for me to ask somebody if I'm talking with them, you know, you know, hey, look, let me ask you, once you sell this project, you know. Are you, are you going to have to pay heavy capital gains on it? And second, you know, what are you going to do with the money? Are you going to, you know, you're going into retirement or what are you looking to do? And when I have these conversations, it just, it's like they spill the beans, man. It opens up the right conversation to say, well, haven't you always wanted to own a bank, right? What about if I can just allow you to create an income stream and, you know, you pay taxes on the money that you show, however your CPA, you know, tells you to do that. And we create an income stream for you. And then to entice them to do seller financing, I throw some security instruments out there, which I think is going to be helpful for all, all the all the folks that are on the call yeah. looking to get seller financing just to throw some value at at this call. Um, one of the things that I do is if it's a deed state, I throw a deed in lieu, which is pretty basic. Yep. They don't have to go through judicial foreclosure if they miss three payments. Toss them back the keys. I forfeit my deposit. Another way that allows me to get in light is I uh, execute a performance agreement. So I let them know that, hey, if the property's sitting underperforming, I'm going to be able to fill X amount over time. And if I don't hit those margins quarterly, they can evict me basically if I were to be a tenant. And I put that in writing in legal mumbo jumbo. And then the third security instrument, which is very helpful because nobody wants to get their property back looking like, you know, know, Sanford and Sun Yard, right? Yeah, right. I put forth a, man, a maintenance agreement, which the maintenance clause says that it's going to remain in the same as is or better condition than it's currently in. And then I start painting the picture of the income stream, painting the picture of all the enhancement I'm going to be doing to the property and how I'm yep. going to be back in the property with, without giving away the farm to show them everything that I'm going to be doing, because then they're going to stay to themselves, why don't I just go do it myself? Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network 
and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast. And trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. Yeah, right, right. Like, ooh, that's a that's a good plan you got there. I might no, I love that, right? And that's ultimately you want to be the highest up on the totem pole. You are yep. the bank. You are secured and collateralized on a beautiful asset that I'm going to go and improve myself, right? And obviously, I think you you mentioned a key part is you got to sell them on that vision a little bit without showing all the cards. You got to sell them on that vision, help them understand that you're a solid, strong operator, good vision, good team. You're going to breathe, you know, value back into this asset and they're going to collect a, a passive income check every month. And if, you know, I always tell people, hey, if I screw up and run off to Mexico, you're going to get a great asset back with a good chunk of money that I gave you up front and a lot of cash flow along the way. So, you know, that sounds like a pretty good deal, right? Um, So in terms of, you know, just kind of maybe wrapping up on state of the market, economy, how are you mitigating risk? How are you navigating this train right now? And ultimately, you know, I think a lot of people try and time the market, right? So Mm -hmm. you're obviously, and I'm obviously always buying you know, every year. What are your thoughts on how you're finishing out this year and what you're paying attention to and or maybe the next 12, 24 months? Are you ramping up to get aggressive and you're, you know, there's going to be great opportunity and blood in the streets? Or are you just kind of sticking with your, you know, your model and, and staying the course? Yeah, great question. So um, yeah, definitely we're, we're getting a- aggressive in a way of buying more, but not aggressive in the way that we're you know, just sitting there throwing out lowball offers. I mean, everyone does that. That's the yeah. oldest, this is the oldest trick in the book. You know, and if you look at that, it, people just kind of, they deflate. Um, what we do is a multiple tier offer. We call it the cafeteria pitch, where they can pick and choose as they go down the line of what they want. So we'll throw a minimum of three offers out on every single deal. Like we just don't throw one offer out. And obviously, we get very surprised when they're taking, you know, the cash offer on the as-is value, and we're buying that liability uh, for, you know, like we just tied up a a deal. We're going to be closing it in like uh, probably two, three weeks, depending on how title goes, right? We're at the mercy of the traffic light. But uh, it's a small self-storage deal, and uh, we have it for $210,000. Like it's a super small deal, but there's no seller financing. It's cash. So, you know, there's all different types of, and just to throw this out there, there's all different types of lending programs yeah. where if there's rehab, you know, they'll, they'll go ahead and do 80%. But then once you spend a certain dollar amount, they'll give you the money back to go ahead and finish off the rehab. And now what you're doing is you're taking a $210,000 liability, turning it into potentially a $900,000 asset and being able to trade that back. And it's got to be a great market, which this one is out in Texas. Nice. So, we're, we're looking at um, doing the multiple tier offer, but then understanding the exit, I think, is the missing, the missing um, piece of the puzzle, Matt, because most people, they don't have that exit in play. 
Mm-hmm. So we're really like skill set on our exit. So let me give some value add feedback on that. Um, we talk about seller financing. I talked about playing on the greed of the seller and getting longer term. Can't tell you how many times through that conversation when I talk about them becoming the bank and having the income stream, showing them how much money they're going to be making per year. I tell them, you know, typically it's like a three-year deal. I said, but we find that once someone realizes that they have an income stream, they can stay away from management and operations and have a property that came from this state to this state. Now you're not financing a liability, you're financing an asset. Yep. You're going to want to continue to finance that. So why? And I asked them, why don't we go ahead and say that if I stabilize this property, that I have an opportunity for you to carry for an additional seven years on top of the three that you're agreeing to. Um, and I find that it works because they understand the difference between seller financing a liability to an asset. And to second that for the exit, I uh, I always make sure that we have a um, assumable, transferable, non-recourse seller finance note. So I've been doing this for a long time. So <laughs> when we acquire these deals, we always want to go non-recourse. You remember my early story where I got rocked because I hit the ceiling, my debt to income ratio sucked and I can't get a bank loan. If you do things non-recourse, it's all you just signing on behalf of your LLC, and it's nothing more than just a signature on a piece of paper. So if we have it where it's assumable and transferable, then someone else can step into our shoes, assume the loan, and we have the right to transfer that, that basic contract or that note at any, any point in time. Someone else can just come in and, and jump in and, and take it. Um, this is a, a fact that I'd want someone to verify because I'm not an attorney or a CPA, but I work with Anderson Business Advisors a lot and uh, Clint over there and Toby, they're really cool guys. And uh, they put out um, some information that if you close a property in a Wyoming statutory trust, it bypasses the reassessment of taxes on the new buy. Mm. So someone might want to check that out. Yeah, that'd be nice. Uh, but, yeah, it'd be nice, right? But another workaround is just selling your LLC. Yeah. So always, always start a new LLC, whether you go through Anderson or whatever company you go through um, and make it where you're not, you know, commingling it and you always clean, keep clean books because anytime you can just sell the company. Which I love what you just brought up, right? I mean, that that's so important. How many people are going to get screwed over the next 12, 24, 36 months because they didn't think through having multiple options on their exit strategy, right? Debt resetting. Well, I don't think too many people pro form it in and modeled in, you know, the assumption that we're going to be at seven, eight percent interest rates and, you know, thinking that we're going to stay at three and a half, four percent and rents are going to keep going where they're going. And the mark it's so having right things like that, those trap doors, those options are are critical and and could make all the difference in a, a deal becoming a great deal or also could become a nightmare deal. Right. Yeah. Well, imagine if you had a low interest uh, barrier on the entry and within that year of that interest only, you're taking a property like the the property um, in Texas, for example, and you're taking it from that that as is value and you're increasing it over 12 months. 12 months is a long time. Like you can repair and stabilize a property within 12 months. If not, yeah. then someone needs that educational piece on how to do that. But hiring the right professionals, let them do what they do best while you focus on what you do best is key. A lot of people do it themselves and they fail. So hire the professionals and give yourself room to bring in those pros to do those jobs and always make sure you get a timeline of scope work and a cost sheet. So you know what you're getting into. 
And then bring in those professionals to facilitate that. And then that'll give you time to sit down and watch the next Avengers movie with your kid. <laughs> that's right, man. And just, that's why I say, hey, you know, just, just bake it into the front of the deal and, and see if yep. the deal still stands on its own, right? If you need to start getting real lean and start, that's where it gets a little slippery, right? But if you can bake yep. all of that leverage into the deal, good plan, good team, good execution, there, there's there's a lot of freedom that can be created in commercial real estate. I know this is something that you do and teach for people all over the country. Um, you're putting on events, you're putting out free content, you're doing all kinds of stuff. So for those that want to know more about you, what Terry Hell and his company and your brand, your community is up to, where's the best place for them to uh, to, to check you out? Yeah, well, the website terryhill.com is the easiest place to go. Um, you can land there. Um, pretty easy to get in touch with um, as far as uh, connecting and scheduling a call if you want to chat, see if we're a fit. I'm always looking for individuals to partner with because I've always delegated the education and obviously the responsibility of my six steps. So my six steps are finding, pre-screening, evaluating, structuring, negotiating, and facilitating. So I can do it all myself, which I do. And I have a boutique firm here in Malibu. We got offices in New York, offices in Utah, and offices in Las Vegas. Um, so I have my selective groups of, of individuals, and I do have um, a working machine. But again, the beautiful thing about what I do is I can get as busy as I want or not as busy as I want, but the business is always busy, which is great, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, so I got a really solid team in play and we're just turning dollars. And uh, I have a, a group of, of solid folks that are buyers that want the type of product. So, you know, if we're out there looking for product, Matt, and we're having a difficult time on our acquisition, I always say there's a butt for every seat. And, you know, you had mentioned, you know, hospitality and you had you know, mentioned a few other things, hotels rather, excuse me, and a few other property types. You know, maybe someone here on the call, they're not into, you know, hotels or boutique hotels, but if they found something that was like oceanfront with seller financing that came with incentives and everything else um, with creative seller financing, that might be a perfect fit for you or someone else that's in that yes. space. So the beautiful thing about having um, a complete buyer's list of real people that can perform, you can also look for their criteria. Not that you're brokering it because we don't work for three to 6% commission. Like I said, our minimum take on a wholesale is 100,000. And if you do a Montgomery deal and you're exceeding 450,000 on a turn, like that's not a bad deal. And I turned down a million dollar assignment fee on a property last year, by the way. Ooh. Yeah. And the reason why I did that is because there was so much money in it. It was a shopping center and it was actually in Florida. Mm. And, uh, you know, there was way more money in it. Um, we're operating it today. Uh, there was uh, another 30,000 net rentable square feet that needed uh, uh, revamping. And uh, we knew of a, a big box that was going to be another addition, which is a secondary anchor. So it was just a no brainer deal. And those nice. deals set, man. That was one of those acorns that pumped into our head, man. Yeah, I know. I'm working on a tenant and toe deal right now. That could be a, a really juicy one. So there's just, there's so much opportunity around there. And I'm always a big believer, you, you know, you, you grow into the conversations and the environments you put yourself in. So if you're somebody that, you know, wants to learn commercial real estate, you don't necessarily feel like you got all the tools on your tool belt or your axe is as sharp as you want it. You know, connect with people like Terry or myself or other people in the industry that are out there sharing, talking, and most importantly, doing and have a real track record of it. <laughs> Excuse me. So we'll be sure to link up um, all your information, Terry, millionermindcast.com. Be sure to check the episode out, guys. Show notes. It'll have all the ways that you can get in contact with him. Final question, brother. Yeah, Italy, you talk yeah. global investing. Yeah. It's been a dream of mine. 
And yet, yeah. right, there's there's obviously a lot of nuances to that. So just real quick, 60 seconds, maybe tell us why going global and you know what what that looks like for you now on this particular deal, maybe going into the future, you know, what your your thoughts and plans are there. Yeah, man. So it's just about, you know, getting out there and putting yourself out into different places. And like you said, the size, basically the size of your net worth is due to your network. And uh, had some uh, friends that were doing uh, big development out in Cyprus, of all places, the island. And uh, I didn't want to go there because it was a little too close to some havoc. And so traveling different countries, you know, um, ended up linking into Italy because I'm Italian Irish and I have family in Naples and went down and you know, you hear like Amalfi Coast, you know, Positano and all these areas, you're thinking, oh my God, that's untouched. And you're thinking like, you know, $100 million, you know, big, you know, right. mansions. And it's just not that. There's certain areas in certain countries like Mexico or even Italy where you can get in and you can see that the value there, they're just not there on a development standpoint. So jumping in, um, we've already had two homes now uh, and we're doing a, a commercial development. Um, and it's a big moving part, man, but it's a lot of fun. So I, I need Andiamo, man. I need to get it going. Andiamo, <laughs> there we go. I love it. Well, Terry, brother, it's been great connecting with you and uh, always, always love the conversation. Again, guys, be sure to check out the show notes, millionermindcast.com for Terry's episode and uh, reach out, connect with him and his amazing team. Brother, until next time, great connecting. Thanks, Matt. Absolutely, man. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview. And if you did, all I ask is that you take two minutes and leave a review in iTunes, where by doing so, you're also gonna get entered in to win a $100 gift card. Don't forget to share this episode out with somebody else that may need to hear it or may get some value from what was talked about in today's interview. And for those of you who are really looking to accelerate your wealth building journey, you wanna unlock more financial freedom, you wanna get more time back, or maybe you just wanna level up your life, your business, your finances, be sure to head over to MillionaireMindcast.com and check out all the amazing products and resources that we have for our Millionaire Mindcast family, whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, mastermind events, downloads and checklists, the Rich Life Planner for those of you looking to take your goal setting and productivity to the next level. We've got all kinds of great, valuable tools, so be sure to check those out at MillionaireMindcast.com. And last but not least, if you're not on my weekly text letter and you want to be the first to know of exclusive updates and offers in addition to behind the scenes access to a lot of the stuff that I'm doing, that I'm investing in, be sure to join by texting the word notes to 844-447-1555. With that being said, thanks for listening today. Until next time, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your march to a million and beyond. Cheers, my friends.